Hey now. This is Liquid Gold. All right, where the dances are Hulus and the hosts have a screw loose. Welcome back to a holiday extravaganza episode of Liquid Gold right here on the We Own This Town podcast network. High atop the studios here at We Own This Town in Wedgwood, Houston. Shout out to our producer, Michael Eads, and one of the hosts, if not the host with the most of the music episode. Always a trip to to check that out. So do check out the We Own This Town music episode as you are flying through the airport, flying through the air, flying through traffic, sitting through traffic, walking through traffic. Either way, whatever you're doing this holiday season, um, this is a big week. It's Thanksgiving week. We've got a lot to talk about. We're going to be checking in with Miss Jessica Backus, Later, one of her sections from the new book, Cheer, a liquid gold holiday drinking guide available wherever you buy books, all about wine and wine pairings, and she'll have some party planning advice for you as well. So great to get Miss Jess Backus back on. I'm your host today, Mike Wolf, along with my co-host, Mr. Kenneth Dedman. Kenneth, happy holidays. Happy holidays, Mike. You look well today. Oh, whatever, dude. (laughs) He's got some uh, aviator shades. And uh, beanie, and uh, just looks sharp today. Oh, thanks. Um, you look nice too. Oh, thanks. They don't even know if we do or not. We have a very special guest today that we're going to be talking about mm. Thanksgiving food, Thanksgiving liquids, some prep, little secrets, some tips on how to make the most of your holiday spread. She is uh, one of the stars of the new Hulu show, Chefs vs. Wild which Kenneth and I have been enjoying all weekend, checking out that show, Chef Katie Koss. Katie, welcome to the program all the way from Oklahoma. Thanks so much for having me, guys. Great to have you along for the ride. Welcome. Katie, so this time of year, chefs, cooks, home cooks, 'er ne'er-do-wells alike are all relied upon in so many ways to feed people. Are you um, are you gonna be like helming the kitchen for your family this year for for this holiday season? What are you gonna be cooking this year? Oh, of course. I mean, I feel like chefs, you know, as a occupational hazard, you know, the second they walk into a home or or you know a, an event, they go, "Oh, you're a chef. Oh, you, you yeah. I don't want to cook for you. You got you got to get to the kitchen. <laughs> yeah. You know. So you all of a sudden, you know, if you were a guest, you you are no longer. So, uh, yeah, anytime during the holiday season, I pretty much um, helm up the uh, cooking side of it. And it kind of all, you know, just depends on how many people I'm cooking for. You know, some years I've only done, you know, uh, four people and then other years I've done up to 2630. So it really kind of depends on how much meal prep this year. I'm going to be a little bit lighter on my prep. I think I'm only going to be doing about 10 people, but I would, you know, one, first of all, the prices of everything right now are insane. I looked this morning into the grocery store and a, and a block of butter is $6. So I, I could not believe that that was even a thing. So could the, cause my first thought that I was going to do is, you know, obviously you got to base that turkey and butter and you're going to, mm-hmm. and I personally like to soak my bird in buttermilk. There you go. Um, okay. And okay. how, how, yeah. okay, we're right into it. How much in advance are you going to soak that turkey in buttermilk? 24 I do at hours? least two days. Two days. No, I do oh, two man. days. I do two days soaking that, soaking that baby up. That's and, beautiful. And, um, yes, I mean, it keeps that bird. And what's funny enough, Rory O'Connell from, uh, Huss Nashville, he actually was the one who 
came in one day and he said, you know what I did this year? You know, it was just me. And I, I soaked my breasts in buttermilk. And I said, that is a great idea. Yeah. And so I ended up doing the whole turkey. And I, and I know that it's expensive, but I got to tell you, it is so, it is so, so worth it to brine your your turkey and buttermilk and i always do hot sauce you know just because i've got southern <laughs> you know mm. running through me like you wouldn't believe you really uh, do you're kind so, of bringing the southern flavor to oklahoma in a lot of ways because it's it's there's southern elements there i would say but it's not quite the south is it do you think of it as the south no yeah no i don't yeah. think i don't think of it as the midwest either you know despite mm-hmm. my horrible accent um <laughs> <laughs> i i think that you know i think that bringing the south to to oklahoma is you know necessary because they the oklahoma is such a melting pot of different cuisines but i don't think they've ever landed on just one you know Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so yeah of course you know i'm gonna be doing a big turkey and you know other people they don't they don't you know they just like to smoke their turkey um and i personally uh, I don't really like to smoke my turkey. Mm. You know, I hate, and I hate saying that because I love to do everything over the fire. Mm-hmm. But every time I've smoked my turkey, I've just, you know, I, I don't think it takes that long. I think it's delicious. But at the end of the day, I think, you know, one night in the fridge and it is about as dry as you can, mm. as it can be. It might oh, as well yeah. be a saltine cracker the next day. I see. You know, you got to have it just that one day. And I, for myself, I like to have leftovers and those are, leftovers are my favorite part. Same. Oh yeah. So, the immortal leftover sandwich. Mayo, oh, cranberry. I mean, for real. Turkey, that, that leftover stuffing. sandwich. Ugh. It's, I know. It's one of the best parts the of choir. Okay, let's get well let's get into your ideal leftover sandwich a little bit later as we kind of work through the meal here. So <laughs> you're doing uh you're doing the butter buttermilk brine. Are you doing spices, seasonings, anything with that, or is it straight buttermilk? And then second part of that question, are you rinsing that off or are you just kinda like I'm taking it out and then I'm seasoning and then I'm throwing it in the oven? Well, first off, I, I love to do spices in the buttermilk. Okay. Um, I love to do some uh, dried onion, uh, paprika. I love to do um, dried garlic, uh, hot sauces. And then I actually put a couple cloves of garlic in my actual buttermilk, and I spin it just because I love a nice gar- garlicky. I love anything this with garlic. This is garlic yeah. buttermilk, yes. Mm, oh, God. Yes. This is good. This <laughs> yeah. is really good. I'm so hungry. I'm, I'm, getting, so, uh, I'm getting dialed in. <laughs> okay. All right. And so, yeah, I, I like to use some of those spices. And then um, I always do just a little bit of clove. Uh, I just I love the way that clove kind of tastes and smells with turkey. It, it I don't know really how to describe it, but it it um, it just adds a little something extra. And people are always like, oh, well, what are you adding? What's your secret ingredient? It's like I just add a little clove to it and don't oh, go cool. crazy with it by any means. Yeah. And I would suggest grinding it whole. OK, but um, but I love a little clove. And then, uh, yeah, I do a light rinse on my bird, and but I don't go crazy with the rinse because you you want that you want a little bit of that buttermilk because guess what you're gonna do right afterwards you're gonna make a butter blanket and you're just gonna douse that thing mm-hmm. in butter. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you know y- you want all that fat, you want all that goodness. And then um, what I actually do is I add a bunch of butter, I add some thyme, lots of herbs to the middle of it, and then I take uh, cheesecloth and I soak it in butter. Okay. And I lay it over the bird. Wow. And then, okay. And yep. then I bake the bird. What's, okay. the, what's that do? That's like uh, that's keeping the uh, like the skin from uh, drying out. 
or what's going on yes. there? This is great. Yes. Like, it's a I butter need, blanket. I need, it, I need all of this because yep. I'm cooking for Thanksgiving. It's a butter so. blanket. What it, could go wrong? It is a butter blanket. You take mm. cheesecloth and you soak it. And, and I, once again, I like to do a garlic butter. I like to make it a really nice herb, herby butter. And I mm, soak right. that cheesecloth and I let it sit. I leave it. And then whenever I pull it out, it is a butter blanket and it will just continually just keep your bird perfectly golden. I mean, perfectly, you can pull it out and it's like the, the Norman Rockwell Thanksgiving turkey Ooh, whenever wow. you release that. Oh, I mean, it is in the country per- and you don't country have to sit there and baste it Oklahoma. over and over again. Uh-huh. Oh yeah, <laughs> you're gonna see the dog. So you, I'm setting the scene. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Now, now Katie, oh, you, you still you are still basting it. You just don't have to do it um, incessantly. You don't correct? have to do it as much just because you have that butter blanket on it. So cool, very cool. I've never heard that, and that is killer. That's why we got you here today. A real chef, a phenomenal <laughs> chef. Okay, when you when the turkey's done. And you're, you know, you're going to bring it out. You're going to rest it. How long are you resting it? Are you tenting it with foil? Tell me about that stuff. Yes, I, I like to rest it and I do like to tent it with foil, but I also, I don't pull it. You know, the, the hard part is, is that <clears throat> people always pull their bird at 165. I mean, it, it is really sad when you pull the bird right at 165. And okay. what you need to be temping is you need to be temping those legs. Breasts are going to get done far earlier than what your legs are going to be done. Mm-hmm. And that's actually the worst part about whenever you do a whole bird is that your your breasts are always going to be. So what I actually do is once those breasts are about one, I'd say 140, 150, mm-hmm. I actually cover those those breasts and, and foil and I lower the temperature of the oven. Well, um, how much? Because I don't, uh, probably, so I would, I start my bird out, around 375 and then i lower it to 250 okay and i slow cook the legs yeah that's like a smoker temp if you're smoking Mm -hmm. a brisket or something yeah okay yep and then Uh i slow cook the legs because i don't want those breasts to really cook too much more i want Mm -hmm. them to kind of just lie there where they are and then i'm those legs they'll be they'll be about 10 degrees shy of that breast temperature and then that'll slowly bring them up to temp without really just murdering your breast with heat. Okay. That is great. That's a great tip. Let's talk about some other things. Like we've talked about the, the, you know, brining ahead. Let's talk about some other ahead of time stuff. What other kinds of stuff? So you're going to be using like a stock for your gravy, I imagine. And then you're making your own stock and everything. What goes into your stock this time of year that you're kind of getting that ready ahead of time? What's great about this year is that I uh, was given a bunch of pheasant. Um, oh, cool. And so I'm going to actually be making a pheasant stock. And wow. uh, what's great about pheasant is that there's really not a whole lot of fat to them. Mm. You know, especially when hunters clean them, they really they get rid of a lot of that fat. So what you're left with is meat and lots of bone. Mm. And it's, it's quite a hearty bird. So And this is actually a great way to get rid of that buckshot. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> in the same way is just turn that pheasant into a, a yummy, delicious stock. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to roast those pheasant bones or whatever chicken bones. You can do whatever you want. Mm-hmm. I just give them a light roast. Now, a lot of people say just go ahead and blanch them. You know, I found that roasting the bones just a little bit mm-hmm. is going to give your stock a, a better color. Oh, cool. So you're going to have that nice golden stock. You're not going to have that, you know, pale. You're not making a consomme right. at Thanksgiving. No one's making a consomme at Thanksgiving. And you that's what you'd nice say the difference is, broth. is kind of color 
uh, uh, depth mm-hmm. of flavor. Yes. And that kind of roasty goodness. Mm-hmm. Okay. Once I roast those, I, I put those into a pot with tons of mirepoix, tons and tons of bay. I love bay. Mm. Um, Dried bay, fresh bay? Fresh bay. Fresh bay, If you bay, can get your hands yes. on fresh bay, mm. do it. Do yeah, it all great... day. I mean, it is it is great. You can use so much uh, more of the fresh than you can the dried. Wouldn't you say you can use almost mm-hmm. twice as much? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm. Oh, yeah. And you know what I found is that if you go to the right places, it's actually cheaper to buy it fresh than it is to buy it dried. Mm. Cool. Okay. Let's keep an eye out for that. Just tons of mirepoix. Mm-hmm. And then you're bringing tons. that up. You add, you uh, you cook that up. Mm-hmm. And what what do you do? No, from there? so I don't I don't I don't saute the the mirepoix whatsoever. Oh, okay. Okay. I I put it in the the water. I put it in with the with the bones and everything, and I just let it simmer. Ah. Don't boil. Whatever you do, don't boil your stock. Mm-hmm. That's not what you're looking for. That's not what you're going. It's going to get really cloudy, and mm-hmm. you just want to you want a nice simmer. You want to take time. Yep. With stocks, with any stock that you ever make, you don't ever want to rush it. Mm-hmm. That's a, this is a uh, sixteen to eighteen hour kind of thing. Sometimes, wouldn't you say? Oh yeah, a labor of love. Yes, and you can let it kind of simmer as you sleep. So it's not like you have to watch <laughs> it the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> no, I I mean you can. Uh, what I would suggest doing is almost putting it in a crock pot. You know, if you, if you're making a small batch, mm-hmm. just put it in there and just let it sit. Yeah, that's great. But uh, the I think it's notable that you mentioned to not cook the mirepoix beforehand. Do you do that with most of your stocks? Because that's that's um, a great tip. So no, I you know with with uh, beef stock you always want to cook your mirepoix because you okay. want that dark color and then you're going to be adding you know most of the time whenever you're making beef stock you're going to be adding some type of uh, dark wine to it. Mm-hmm. So you're looking for color. You're looking to get that caramelization from, you know, like the sweetness of carrots and onions that come out, the sugars. But with chicken stock, I'm not really looking for sweet. Yeah. Um, okay. I'm looking, I'm looking for, you know, a hearty umami, you know, kind of more of a, a mushroom vibe than anything. Mm. Okay, cool. Very cool. And then, you know, you mentioned the, the cloudiness and you mentioned the like the consistency and the the color of everything, um, what can you tell people that are making their stock and maybe haven't done it a whole lot? Don't you feel like you need to be careful with stirring and agitating it too much as you're straining it? Could you speak to that? Yeah. So there's um, you know there's a French term that you learn in culinary school. It's called uh, dépoillage and déglacé, and that means that you are skimming the fat from the top. Mm. So whenever you simmer and you do that low simmer, it, the fat is going to rise to the very top. Now, if you boil it, you know, those big bubbles, that fat is going to be turning right into that stock water, and that's what's going to make it cloudy. Mm. That's what you don't want. So if you do a light simmer, that fat's going to rise to the top, and then you're just going to take a ladle, and you're just going to skim the top part of your stock. Mm-hmm. Nice. That keeps it nice and clean, keeps the flavors mm-hmm. clean, keeps the colors. Okay. It's also going to be cleaner for whenever, whenever you go to, uh, if you're, say you're making, uh, you know, turkey noodle soup after you're done with this, it's going to be cleaner eating because that fat's not going to be lining your stomach. You know, you want to get rid of that fat off of that. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Okay. That's good. And then good when, stuff. when straining, you just kind of want to, what, strain it a couple times. You want to strain it through something pretty fine, like. You know, a lot of times when I've made stock at home, I'll strain it through like two tea strainers that are kind of 
I'll just put them together and strain it that way and then maybe strain it again. But tell us about the straining of your stock. Yeah. So my suggestion, once again, you know, is cheesecloth. Cheesecloth is okay. a great. A lot of the times yep. people don't have chinoise, um, you know, a fine mesh strainer. Mm-hmm. So if you have a colander, you know, just in your house, which is what a typical home cook would have, what you're going to do is you're going to take cheesecloth and you're going to wet it and then you're going to layer it over your colander and that is your best way to strain it. Cool. Okay. And you need cheesecloth this time of year for the butter blanket of your bird. So you got <laughs> many different uh, uh, uses for cheesecloth. So that's that's another good tip. When it comes time to make that gravy, let's talk a little bit about that because that's where your stock's really going to come in handy. Mm-hmm. So tell me about how, you ma- how you're making your gravy this year. Or any tips you got for that? So there's several different ways that you can make a gravy. So one, you could start off, you can make, you know, the classic gravy with, with flour, you know, and, and typically whenever I do anything with flour, uh, in a gravy, I actually use a sifter. Um, and it helps to not form clumps into your gravy. Mm. Uh, you could also do a cornstarch slurry, you know, cornstarch and just a little bit of water. Mm -hmm. That's also a really easy way. Both methods you have to cook. So I would make sure that whenever you go to make your gravy that you're, you're, it's very thin. So Mm. I would take, take that stock, however much that you have, you know, if you're starting with four quarts, you need to reduce it down to at least by, by half. So two quarts. Okay. So reduce your stock Um, by half. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Reduce your stock by half before mm-hmm. thickening. Mm-hmm. And what I like to do is I like to refortify my stock before mm-hmm. I make the gravy. So sorry, starting at the very beginning before yep. I even get into thickening. Yep. <laughs> yep. We're with you. I, yeah. <laughs> before I even get into thickening, this is the time. This is the perfect time for you to refortify your stock. So this is time you add more mirepoix. You strain your stock. You have your stock base just from the bones. No more bones. You're done with that. Mm-hmm. Now is a time that you can refortify it and you can add in more mirepoix you could add in some wine if you'd like i would highly suggest white wine Mm. um you could add in a little bit of sherry um you could add in chicken feet we've definitely made uh chicken foot jus before i don't know if you get your hands on it maybe if you go to the mexican market yep but uh chicken feet actually have a ton of collagen and and a ton of flavor but this is the time that you refortify your stock and then you put your stock in and then that is when you reduce it down okay. by half. That's Strain awesome. it one more time, and then you thicken it. Okay. And for our listeners, uh, real quick, uh, mirepoix is just a uh, combination of aromatic vegetables. Such as? Yes. Such as uh, uh, celery, carrot. Uh, onion. Uh, onion. Or I've seen red pepper, I guess. And mm-hmm. some. What do you like for your mirepoix, parsnip. Katie? Oh, a little parsnip. Parsnip. Yes. Sweet. A little parsnip, sweetness. fennel. Okay. Yes. yes. All I, love, that I love fennel with white stocks. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> I picked up yeah, some fennel it, the other day. I'm ready. I'm ready. Excellent. Yeah, this you're is great. Ready Katie, for this you're, shit. you're you're helping me out so much. This is awesome. <laughs> We're on the same page. <laughs> yep. Yep. All right. So you've strained your fortified stock. You fortified it. We've clarified the mirepoix. We we've clar mm-hmm. not. We've clarified what that is. Um, what are we doing now? <laughs> Uh, so, I mean, this is now at the point where, you know, you're you're thickening it. You have to make sure whether you use flour, whether you use cornstarch, that you have to cook both. So, um, once again, make sure you're – it's very thin. Make sure you're not using too much. You know, always starting with a little and then working your way up. I don't really like to give measurements for how much you should put into each one because 
uh, your heat is going to be different whether you're using electric or gas or if you're doing it over a fire. You know, your heat is going to be different in each house. So my suggestion is always start off with little. You can always add more, but you can taking away is a lot harder. Mm-hmm. Right. That's good. All right. We got the base of the dinner here. We got a turkey, we got stock, gravy. Yeah. Um, what, what do you think about uh, squashes? Are you doing any squash? Because I'm doing squash. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want me to help you cook? <laughs> uh, I, w- I wish. I wish. Uh, what kind of squash did you get? I got a bunch of acorn and uh, some butternut. I was thinking okay. I was just going to roast some butternut and then, like, I don't know, like puree it with some uh, cream, maybe some stock. There you go. You're going to need the stock for that. And then I'll use that for, like, a sauce for grilled acorn squash. Whoa. Squash two that's ways what over here. I, don't, I, don't, I have no You've idea yet. You've been hanging around like, us for a while. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everything, pretty much most everything I know or that I'm thinking for Thanksgiving is stuff that I've learned from uh, uh, chefs like you. And Definitely. That's awesome. Like, I love it. Katie, do you do any uh, kind of different type of sides or do you, do you keep it pretty traditional with the sides with the green bean casserole, sweet potatoes, uh, mashed potatoes? What kind of sides do you get into? Well... I, uh, for sides, I, I mean, I love Brussels sprouts. Brussels sprouts mm. are like always my number one that I go to. Um, and I love to do uh, a savory dish of some sort every year with pumpkin. And, ge- and generally mm. I change what I, what I do with that. I love pumpkin. I, I've always felt like butternut was kind of like a, a basic, uh, white, white girls squash. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Everybody she calling you out, Kenneth. She calling you out. <laughs> Kenneth over here with his Starbucks latte cooking his uh, butternut squash. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> so I, I typically stay away from butternut squash, you know, just because everyone buys it. Everyone does it. Mm-hmm. I really love to do pumpkin. You know, pumpkin does take a lot more time to process depending on which kinds you get. But, you know, you I always have pumpkin left over from Halloween. You know, everyone mm-hmm. does the carving of the pumpkins. And, and so I always have pumpkin left over from that. Which I save and I freeze and I and I wait and use it for uh, Thanksgiving. I love to do uh, anything with pumpkin and I love to do something spicy with it. Those kinds of vegetables just you know they need something other than you know hard spices. I for me mm-hmm. I think pumpkin just needs chili peppers. Mm, you know oh, cool. in my heart yeah, I feel sure. like those belong together. Yeah, and I love the savory herbs with pumpkin, like thyme, sage, mm-hmm. things like that. Sage. They really, oh, yeah. yeah, they really work nicely with pumpkin. What tips do you got for for Brussels sprouts? So, are you t- are you kind of like having them, sautéing them in some like pork fat, or and then and then maybe mm-hmm. roasting them off, or are you kind of like simmering them and using some more of that stock? Uh, what's your method for Brussels sprouts? So my method for Brussels sprouts, I actually really love to shave them on a mandolin. Oh, nice. And I like to pickle half of them, and then I like to fry the other half of what I do. And you would be surprised how little Brussels sprouts you need shaven. They they look, you know, quite a bit. And once you cook down the the first half of it, you're going to be like, oh, you know. But then you have your pickled ones, and it's going to be still quite a quite a bit of quantity wise and are you um, just doing like a quick pickle on those like a day yes, or two I out do, yeah and i almost do like a kraut with okay. the with the brussels sprout i don't even it's not really even a pickle it's more of like a kraut it's like tons of salt once again i, I love to throw some some 
hard chilies in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just do a little bit of vinegar and I do some caraway, toasted caraway, and it just is almost like a, a sauerkraut, if you Very will. Cool. And then I like to take the other half of my Brussels sprouts and I uh, manage to get my hands on some beef tallow. Oh, sweet. And word. I love to fry Brussels sprouts and, oh, and yeah. beef fat. There you go. The uh, what was once the secret ingredient to McDonald's fries. I know. Before I they know had to they back off of it. Out. <laughs> right? I know. I know. Um, Who tattled on them? Yeah, I think it was somebody <laughs> in Congress. <laughs> no, I think uh. it was, uh, What was it not like a, um, is uh Islamic guy that, uh, that, uh. I don't know. Yeah, he, he sued them for breaking his, like, uh, his, I don't know, like his holy diet, his holy diet. Oh, wow. And, and then a bunch huh. of vegetarians got on board behind him. So I mean, it was, it was back a whole, in those dark it was a whole 80s. Thing. You got to think, yeah, like uh, yeah. Walmart or McDonald's lawsuits are always like uh, really, really <laughs> freaking complicated. I bet. When you're doing the kraut, the Brussels kraut, are you are you just doing that out on the countertop, or are you putting that in a container and putting it in the fridge? Because let you know, we got to inform the listeners at this point. We are talking to a food safety expert. You are one of the <laughs> one of the only food safety certified chefs in nashville and you're i believe you're one of the you were one of the only ones in tennessee so you're probably one of the only ones in oklahoma yeah you are certified (laughs) yeah i am certified yes um so tell me about the the brussels real quick and then i want to talk about this certification stuff because it's pretty fascinating and unique to your career oh boy um uh, so yeah the crowd you know depending on how much you do uh you know typically whenever i make kraut I leave it out overnight. Okay. And then I and um, then I put it in the fridge. Now, if okay. you're doing cabbage, you can you can leave it out as long as it is covered with cheesecloth and then covered with saran wrap and having something pressed down on it because th- that pressure of pressing down that's going to release a lot of moisture from your either your cabbage or your Brussels sprouts and that's going to kind of come come up to the top. So I leave kraut for Brussels sprouts overnight, but I I will leave cabbage, bigger cut cabbage out for longer. Okay, very cool. So it's kind of about the surface area a little bit of the ingredient. Yes, and really oh. of your vessel as well. You know, uh-huh. I like to do mine in a mason jar. Mm-hmm. Um, and typically I do, you know, half-gallon mason jars, you know, packed, and then it'll it'll sink down to about a half of a jar. Amazing. So i got to set the scene here. So uh, this was about a month ago, I believe, or so. Um, I'm driving around, running some errands, and – I'm listening to NPR, the This Is Nashville show, and I hear you talking about food safety. Um, and I called yes. Kenneth. Hey, Katie's on NPR. Turn it on. <laughs> um, so, t- how did you? Um, I know you were. This was when you were at Husk, and you were you were working on a lot of like charcuterie projects. You were working on a lot of pickling projects, and it came to a point where. You were in charge of all of it, and somebody needed to get certified, or you just wanted to get certified. But how did that all come about, and what was that process like? Because I know you had to go through the University of Tennessee, Knoxville. Yeah, it got to the point where I was just really fascinated with it. I think I was only a sous chef at the time, mm-hmm. and I was really fascinated with it. And we had just lost the person that was, you know, formally certified. And you know, Sean was gone, and uh, and in Charleston, they have one person over there that heads up their restaurant. And I said, well, I think someone needs to head up this one. And they offered to pay for my certification. Mm. And I was like, great, perfect. And 
it was a really hard course. <laughs> yeah. I will tell you that. Um, so it was, it was about an eight day course and it was not just about, you know, your home canning and pressure canning. This was about commercial thermal processing. Hmm. The University of Tennessee does such a tremendous job, and they're so detailed and so thoughtful about the about the class that they put out there that it, it takes about eight days to complete. Mm. And there are several tests, um, and but you know they they scare you at the very beginning about food food safety and hazards and toxins, and you know the first slide that we were shown was a family that had all died because they had eaten uh, a jar of pickled mushrooms and it had killed the entire family because botulism, the botulism toxin had gone in it and it had wiped them all out. That's scary. So it was like seven caskets in the row and I was like, okay, I got to take this (laughs) really seriously. Yeah. They're like, you're like, are you um, opening with that? Jesus. Yeah. (laughs) That was their opening. I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. That'll make you sense. So now, yeah, I test. I test a lot of jars and I'm very leery about people when they give me, you know, their, their home jarred items. You know, I, I always kind of test and make sure and, and you, you start to get a little weird. It's like, you know, you, you've seen too much yeah. to, to ever go back kind of thing. The, the innocence is gone. <laughs> yeah. How do you test? Well, one, you can test the jar. You can look for, you know, outside appearances and, and it'll actually happen in your grocery store too. Mm-hmm. You know, it's actually amazing how many things you buy on a day-to-day basis that are thermally processed. Um, you know, and that includes items that are vacuum sealed. You know, mm-hmm. if you think about all the things that, I mean, you buy a box of Velveeta cheese, you know, that cheese is vacuum sealed into a bag, you know, is that safe? Mm. You know, what process did that go through? That is considered thermal processing. Wow. There are so many items that we buy now and it's, you can look at, you know, just the outward appearance of, you know, the, the vessel that it's in. You can also uh, see, you know, is the jar inflamed, Uh, but you can also test it. You know, a lot of people are not going to go to this trouble, but, you know, testing the pH of the product, you know, before you consume it is also you know, a huge priority, you know, looking at the ingredients, what all do they put in there? You're never going to find, you know, a jar of salsa on the shelf that's not going to have some sort of citric acid in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is to control the pH of of the product, you know, and there's just, there's a ton that goes into it. And I was just always fascinated with it. My mom is a microbiologist. So I think that bacteria is just cool and awesome. And, you know, and I want to <laughs> know everything about it, but you, it also makes you a little, a little bit, you know, nervous whenever, <laughs> whenever you go to the store, when someone hands you a home canned good. Oh yeah. Yeah. The old family recipe. So when you see that, are you like looking for little swimmies in the, in the pickling liquid or looking for a little cloudiness <laughs> here and there? Yeah. Oh yeah. You'll look back here. You'll look at the spacing, you know, how much space did they leave in the jar? Mm. Um, you know, my, and my, but my grandparents, you know, they tell me for me, they're horror stories, but horror stories of them like canning and a uh, number nine bathtub and they're just doing it with water. I'm like, how did you survive? Wow. wow. You know, Cause there's a hundred percent, there's a hundred percent botulism in that. And they're like different generation. And I'm like, <laughs> Oh, okay. Just <laughs> built in. <laughs> yeah. They're, they're like they're, immunity. The people Wowza. who died, we're not going to tell you about. <laughs> I think yeah. that's what that means. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Oh yeah. I'm sure it's like, you actually had, you know, I actually had four brothers. I was like, oh, okay. 
What what can people do to make sure that they're being safe with their with their turkeys or with their chickens or whatever they're cooking? What are some tips you can offer for, you know, once you've eaten the bird, once you've once you've had the dinner, uh, what are some safety tips you can offer for people who can like put the turkey away properly, wrap it up, don't leave it out too long, stuff like that? Yeah, get it in the fridge. Number one, mm-hmm. first and foremost, uh, for me, that's such a, a big thing is, um, you know, people always talk about leaving their turkeys out and then oh, I'll come back for seconds and a couple hours after I've had my nap. And <laughs> right. the number one thing that you should do as soon as you're done eating your food, because you really have a two hour window mm-hmm. to get it down to a certain temperature, you know, before you kind of start getting into this, what they call a danger zone. Mm. Uh, so as soon as you're done eating, you know, get all of your products into the fridge and don't don't air lock seal the the food. Leave a, a nice gap opening. You know, p- putting things in stainless steel is a is a great way to cool things down. But getting it in the fridge and not leaving it out on the counter, you know, that's that's always going to be your best bet to make sure that that gets cooled down within this this essentially six hour time period mm-hmm. to get it cooled and finished and and safe to reheat again. And you're saying to leave a little bit of air flow. Yes. To not like yes, seal stuff up completely. Steam, yeah. Mm-hmm. No, you don't want to steam and get all that heat still in there because it's going to take it longer to cool down. And even if you do have it in the fridge, if you have that locked up and sealed, then it, it may not reach that proper temperature by the time that two hour window hits. Then all of a sudden, you know, you're in this, you know, kind of a bad position to be in and you're going to see water on the top part of your lids, on the top part of whatever it is that you've sealed up. Mm-hmm. And yet, that's really not a great sign to see. Okay. What you want to do is you want that airflow to, to come in, let it cool completely, and then you seal it. That is great advice. I swear. That's good <laughs> stuff. So the leftover sandwich. So you've done everything mostly <laughs> right, and you've put everything away, and a lot of people go for the first leftover sandwich. I've definitely done this a handful of times. Like, you know, eight o'clock that night, nine yeah. o'clock, ten o'clock, eleven o'clock, midnight. Maybe the next day at noon, you sleep in. You're not going to eat breakfast because it was Thanksgiving dinner. And um, but yeah, tell me about the construction of your ideal leftover sandwich. Okay, all right. <laughs> Gotta start. Gotta start with good bread. Gotta start with toasted sourdough. Yep. I love sourdough. Mm. Okay, perfect. Or I love rye. I'm okay with rye too. Okay, but both breads. I'm very happy with. Mm-hmm. So I like to do that. And then I love to take the cranberry and mix it with Duke's mayonnaise. Perfect. Oh my gosh. Cranberry and, just, and Duke's. I, okay. Oh, yep. So good. And you want, I never make like completely smooth cranberry sauce. I always keep it really chunky because I love those pops of cranberry, mm-hmm. like the tartness. Yes. And so I mix that in with some Duke's mayonnaise and I add a little lime zest to that okay. as well. Oh, cool. I gotcha. Um, I love a little lime zest. So put limes then, on the shopping list. Why? Because you're zesting it into the leftover sandwich cranberry mayo. Slash cocktails. <laughs> yes, and cocktails. Make some gimlets, some margs, whatever. Keep the relatives loose. <laughs> All right, so we got the the mayo. Okay. Yes, mayo. And then, and then I do, this sounds like just a heart attack, but, and then I do... A layer, both sides, you know, sandwiches laying out flat, both sides, I like to do the stuffing. Okay. I, I have to do double bread, double bread all day. Yeah. yeah. So you're Sometimes, going, are you doing a bread and then the mayo spread and then the uh, stuffing? Or are you just doing bread and yes. stuffing? Okay. Okay. So there's no, a little no, no, layer. Bread, 
mayo stuffing. Got and it. sometimes I, I get a little wild if I feel like the stuffing wasn't quite, you know, the consistency that I, I wanted it to be. Maybe I made it a little too loose. I do a, a slice of, of cheddar cheese mm-hmm. to kind of keep it into place. Okay. And right. then, and then I, and then I griddle it, but well, hold on. I'm, I'm not there yet. Yep. So I, I love the double bread. <laughs> <laughs> well, double bread. Do you mean like three pieces of bread? Just four. No, 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 she just means no. stuffing. Oh, oh, the double stuffing. stuffing. Like okay, gotcha, gotcha. Got yeah. Oh, yeah. Stuffing. What is stuffing? It's bread. Yeah. No, I was just like, uh, I'm. St- I was just st- stacking, stacking mm-hmm. higher and higher in my <laughs> He's head. He's just like, stacking uh, sandwiches in his look, head. Yeah, yeah, he does it probably every day. <laughs> <laughs> and then I, I do a layer of sweet potato. Ooh. And um, I love – I don't love like the, the super sweet sweet potato casserole. I, mm-hmm. I'm not a huge, huge fan of that. Mm-hmm. But I do like the chili one that I make. Mm. Like I said, I love – if I could dump chilies and everything, I would. And, and that's just got a little bit of heat and then a little bit of sweetness in it. And then I do the turkey. Love it. And then I griddle it. <laughs> All right. Then you're throwing it into a hot pan. Yeah, with some beef fat. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh my God! This is like the greatest fucking sandwich I've ever heard. The greatest sandwich that's ever been on the show. It took yeah. us 106 yep. episodes to get to this point. I think we can retire. And then I drive straight to the hospital. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you only live once. Come on, it's amazing. Yeah. Um, that's one phenomenal. Thanksgiving. Oh man, will you take a picture of your leftover sandwich for us this year? Absolutely. <clears throat> I got to see this thing. I'm going to do my best to recreate it. That yeah. is phenomenal. All right. We're going to take a we're going to take a short break here and check in with Jessica Bacchus, who's going to read from one of her sections from the new book Cheer, a liquid gold holiday drinking guide available wherever you buy books and local bookstores as well. Of course, um, here in Nashville, you can get it at Parnassus and the Bookshop East. Jess is going to read from her uh, wine pairings beyond Thanksgiving turkey and her uh, her section traditions, treats, and tipples by Jessica Backus. So let's hear from Jess. It's our nature as humans and Americans to want to up the game and make every year the most epic celebration ever. The best part of a Thanksgiving feast is that you can hold on to your traditions and still make it all exciting, surprising, refreshing, and memorable. This is especially true of the beverages you enjoy with your holiday spread. Drinks deserve as much consideration as food and will consume much less time for preparation and execution. And they will complete the experience without adding any burden to your big day. The opportunity for adventure and holiday enlightenment lies within the liquid. Some of the most unassuming and pleasantly surprising drinks to pair with Thanksgiving foods come from humble beginnings that predate the American tradition of enjoying and then exploiting the wisdom, talents, and generosity of gracious people willing to welcome and share. Raising a glass of anything pleasant will always make for a grand celebration, but something that connects us to stories and traditions allows us to reconcile with the origins of the holiday and honor the spirit of communing, learning, and sharing. It is a bit confounding how easily you can rattle off a handful of foods that you associate with a Thanksgiving feast, but often the only beverage that comes to mind is white wine, not even a specific type or varietal. That's like answering the question, what do you drive, by saying, a car, 
The truth is that it is appropriate and enjoyable to drink pretty much anything on Thanksgiving because the entire day is dedicated to indulgence. If I can perpetuate the stereotype with a little flair and focus, I'll tout some of the most delicious white wines to share and enjoy with a variety of foods and a plethora of palates. Cool climates often grow grapes that make for high acid wines, which tantalize the taste buds, flow with flavors long beyond the swallow, and pair perfectly with most everything you just counted on your fingers, assuming your turkey and taters come out right. Two of my favorite grapes in this category are Chenin Blanc and Riesling. Both have an abundance of exciting aromatics and a beautiful balance of textured fruit and acid, which makes them accessible to a wide range of palates. They also have complexity for days, which makes them an easy topic during awkward pauses in conversation. I will try Chenin Blanc from anywhere in the world, but my heart is in the Loire Valley with this one. There are many expressions, from the rich, almost sweet fruit of Vouvray to the bone-dry and mysterious Sauvignon. They range in price from everyday drinking to super special occasion, and they are all worthy of your attention at the Thanksgiving table. As an extra treat, if you can find sparkling wine, Cremant, made from Chenin Blanc, it is a perfect way to begin or end a celebration. Riesling is delicious from so many different places and is a perfect gateway wine to discover many unknown and underappreciated Riesling-adjacent grapes in their respective geographies. Try Riesling from Alsace, France, an amazing area snuggled up with the huge Vosges mountain range. And if it delights and surprises you, explore the region's other noble grapes, Gewürztraminer, Pinot Gris, and Muscat as well as Pinot Blanc, Chardonnay's edgy cousin. These wines deliver cool, fun, perplexing flavors, textures, and combinations. It's like licking snozberry wallpaper. For my festivities this year, I choose to bring the story full circle with Riesling from my home state of Colorado. Not only are there grapes growing in Colorado in vineyards up to 6,000 feet of elevation, There are exquisite wines being made by artful farmers who honor the area, the terroir, and the types of grapes that want to grow there, and they let them become what they want to be. These growers and makers put tremendous talent, effort, and wisdom into creating something delicious to enjoy and share. The Storm Cellar Winery makes delicious Riesling of a quality and complexity that rivals that of any in the world. It is a great pairing for fall foods, a people-pleasing sipper with delightful complexity, and a great introduction to a wine region unknown to most of the world. All right, we're back here with Katie Koss here on the Liquid Gold Thanksgiving Extravaganza Spectacular. We've learned a lot today. Um, This is uh, amazing. You're obviously an expert in food, and you were dropped into the wild for this show that's streaming now on Hulu. It is called Chefs vs. Wild, and uh, you were a contestant on this. I don't know if we want to, like, a spoiler alert or anything, but um, tell tell us about... We've really enjoyed the show. We especially enjoy your episode. Tell us about how you got involved in that and what it was like to you know be be thrown into this environment where you have to find food you have to forage and you're dealing with 
what I thought was amazing was you're dealing with an environment and a climate and an ecosystem and a terroir that was totally new to you. So how did how did this whole thing come about? So they emailed me a couple years back and I I don't ever say yes to TV shows. I just for me there's a lot of shows out there that uh, they're just over dramatized mm-hmm. and and they they don't really seem like a challenge, you know. They seem like they're a forced challenge, you know, like they'll put the blender on one side of the room and then the top on the other and the chefs are racing and running around and sweating. Mm-hmm. And for me, I was just like that's not real and I don't want to do that. But whenever they sent me this email, they said, well, you know, you would be dropped in the wilderness and we we won't tell you where. You'll have to cook in a kitchen with no electricity and uh, with only the ingredients or with a few pantry items mm-hmm. as well in this outdoor kitchen over fire. And I was like, that sounds like me. Yeah. I, yeah. Like, I, would, I, would, I would do that, you know, on a weekend. Yeah, so, right. Uh, <laughs> I was like, "That's awesome!" And initially, whenever they contacted me, and I don't know if you know this, but but Hulu is owned by Disney. Okay. And when they contacted us, we were actually supposed to be hunting, mm. and um, and then once Disney got a hold of the show, and Hulu got a hold of the show, um, they said, "Okay, well, you know, we're kid fr- friendly, you know, no hunting." But we were all geared up to to be doing this, and um. Even though, let me add, one of the bedrocks of Disney over the years is one of the most traumatic scenes in any movie and one of the most traumatic movies any kid can watch, Bambi. So give me a break, Disney. You you fucking hunt. You hunt. I know. And what's funny is the people, the (laughs) film crew that was hired for this event, they were actually from the TV show Alone and Naked and Afraid. Oh, So these were intense people. They they were prepared for us to, to get a little crazy. Yeah. They're like, don't worry, you're not going to starve to death. We know what we're doing. (laughs) Yeah, they're like, at least you have clothes. And I was like, okay. (laughs) Excellent. (laughs) And uh, and so, anyways, um, we didn't know whether we were going to get salt water or fresh water. Mm. Uh, They just told us, they said, you're going to be in British Columbia. And they said, and you're going to be at the end of November. Um, They kind of tell you what time of year you're going to be in. And uh, I'm like, whoa, gosh, you know, end of November, like nothing's going to be up there. You know, there's nothing's going to be left. It's going to be so cold and, and rainy. And that's exactly what it was. Mm-hmm. And what they don't show on, on the episode is that we actually survived. We had to build our own shelter. We had to essentially get our own food, wow. find our own food. And, and whatever we found, we had to go, okay, you know, should we just use this for the cooking competition? Because, you know, maybe I didn't find enough of something or are we going to eat tonight? Oh, wow. So yeah. uh, we actually and we were actually out there for two weeks and the mo- majority of the time, you know, there wasn't a whole lot out there. So we had to say, oh, OK, well, we're not going to we're not going to eat. I think we went about six days without eating. Oh, fuck that. Wow. Uh, is that just to look yeah. better on camera? <laughs> oh. Yeah. And and so and I think it's really funny how they, this episode played out because it didn't play out as you know, survival, you know, which is what it was. I luckily enough was partnered up with an, an air force, um, military guy who is his job is, you know, if your plane is shot down, he trains those people or he goes and gets those people and teaches them how to survive. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Um, like behind little, little enemy lines with, with mm-hmm. yeah, without a footprint, that's what he does. And mm. so he taught me all these insane tricks. I mean, the stories that this guy told, you know, was, 
just like, man, my life sucks. You want to see a picture of my cat? You know? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I, my stories did not compare to this guy. And so anyways, we were out there. We had to build our own shelter. There was like hardly any daylight. It rained, it rained, it rained, and it was cold. And like I said, most of the time we weren't eating. We were, you know, looking for things to find. And I felt like whenever we got out there, I said, you know, I think the best thing to do is divide and conquer. It's like, you go fish, because I don't think you're going to get anything, to be honest. Man, he struggled with the fishing. Oh, yeah. But they both did. The fishing, it was unrealistic. And what's so funny is we would sit up, you know, late at night. And, you know, we obviously for this whole amount of time, we had no cell phone. We had no uh, no clock whatsoever. Hmm. So, um, you know, and the moon was so close at nighttime, you kept thinking that the sun was coming up. So uh-huh. I'd wake up in the middle of the night and I'd be like, Oh, it's about to be daylight. And it was nowhere close. Wow. And what's funny enough is they, they, they weren't as the camera crew wasn't as bright as what they thought they were because they gave us a camera at nighttime to film each other and to kind of film what's going on. And um, I looked on there, and they didn't take the time off of it. So I was like, oh, it's 9 p.m. <laughs> <laughs> gotcha. Yeah. And that was my only, that was my only uh, like, civilization. I was like, oh, okay. And that's how I would know. I was like, man, I think the sun's about to come up. And I'd look at it, and I was like, oh, it's 11 o'clock. Oh, wow. You know, and that's a trip. It, would get, it would get dark really early. So we would have a limited amount of time to go and hunt and forage. And the terrain was really hard. And, you know, your sleeping bag, despite building the shelter, you know, your sleeping bags were wet, you know, right. constantly. Mm-hmm. So you're always trying to dry them over the fire and you always smelled like old smoke, which I don't know if you've ever smelled that before, but it just makes you sick to your stomach. Mm-hmm. So and then once we get to this part, they then say, OK, well, now, now you got to go to this wilderness kitchen and we're saying, OK, well, you got to hike to it. So, so now you spend all this time out there and you're exhausted. And now I have to go cook, find this kitchen and I have to go cook for four hours. Wow. And I have to cook everything that I found out in the wild. Plus you're sapped of energy, right? Yes. You're sapped of energy. Yeah. And are you, because you're saving like some of the, like you were, you were foraging berries and you were foraging some cool, like kind of aromatic herbs. There was the licorice fern, which was really interesting. But Mm -hmm. were you having to, since you're trying to save some of that stuff for the, for the, for the, the meal that you're having to cook for the competition, were you eating like tree branches and shit or what What was the like weird stuff that you were having to subsist on? No. So really uh, what we would do is because we had to boil our own water too. We weren't allowed to take water out there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So whenever we went to boil our water, I would add, I would crush up some of that licorice fern and I would put it into our, our bottles mm. and licorice fern has a ton of sugar in it. And then actually between that and the heat from the water, it makes you feel like you're having a meal. Oh, cool. Um, and so it gives you little tiny bursts of energy. But typically we would only eat, you know, maybe I think we maybe ate two times and we had mushrooms. I made like a mushroom stock mm. in a pot and it was just mushrooms and uh, licorice fern. And I found some something that was similar to bay. And um, so I threw that in there. So I just made a stock and we ate mushrooms. And what's funny is he said, I hate mushrooms. And I was like, well, you're going to like these because you're starving. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, and he actually did. He actually really liked, now he likes mushrooms, funny enough. But so, yeah, you, you had to go and find ways. And what's great is the chefs had a botany class with this woman, this incredible, phenomenal woman who lives up there. And what she does is she owns a farm and she teaches about, you know, wild 
foraging and, and all that kind of stuff. And she gave us tips and tricks and how to tell if something's poisonous and how, you know, what mushrooms to eat, what not to eat, how to survive, how to stay warm in your sleeping bag at night, you know, whenever it's freezing. Yeah. You know, what um, was that tip like? How do you stay warm in a wet sleeping bag in the middle of nowhere? <laughs> do you just rub so your you chest actually, or what? No, you actually run in place in your sleeping bag. Ah, okay. And I know that sounds dumb, but you run in place and actually all your body heat will come out and it will heat and warm your sleeping bag. Oh, cool. And and so I was running in place in my sleeping bag quite often. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm tired. <laughs> yeah. So I was getting a lot of I was getting a lot of exercise. Wow. But yeah, so and then they take you to this you know, they, they finally get us together right at the very bottom of the hill. And what's funny is they said, okay, we want to film you guys because this was our first time coming together. They said, we want to film you guys going up the hill to this kitchen and your first reaction of seeing the kitchen. And we go up there and we see the kitchen and we're going up this hill. And the the guy who was up there, because once you're up at the kitchen, now it's like a, now it's like a regular cooking show, you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, the guy said, you guys look miserable. Do it again. And I was like, we are, we're pretty tired. <laughs> wow. And then we had to go back down the hill and we had to come back up and we had to act like we were happy. You know? <laughs> That's funny because you do, you do, I, I thought that too. I was like, man, they're stoked to get to this kitchen. I figured it was just because yeah. you had all the wood and you could have a good fire. No, we were tired. <laughs> it was I take was two. Like, I, have, I, I told him, I said, no one wants to rely on my acting skills. I was like. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> and. And so we get into this kitchen and they tell us, so they say, okay, you're going to get rabbit. And I'm like, excellent. I, I can do anything with rabbit. And I was really afraid to get, cause our other option, I think we were possibly going to get elk. Mm. And I was like, oh, that's going to take a while to cook. And I said, four hours really is not enough time for elk, right. you know, at tough. the end of the day. Yeah. So I was like, okay, perfect rabbit, super easy, no problem. And I told my partner, I said, the only thing that you're going to be doing is you're just going to be cleaning all of this stuff because I'm a clean freak. I mm-hmm. was like, you're just going to be cleaning and washing off all of this stuff and I'm going to be cooking. The only thing I want you to do is stay out of my way. Yeah, <laughs> you're, yes. you're food safety certified, so you can uh, speak yeah. from authority there. Yeah. Yep. But and you're so telling a survival you. expert in the Air Force, stay the fuck out of my way. <laughs> I'll kill <Yes>. you. <laughs> what? Well, yes. I definitely. I was like, no, I definitely was like, Get away from me. And what's funny is, you know, of course, the camera crew, they're all over you and they want to see what you're doing and what you're making. And of course, they filmed me. I had burnt one of my cakes and they they're like, hey, can we get a close up of that? And I actually swore. It was like the first yeah, cake that I had said. Please. And I and I spiked it into the trash can. That was like, my favorite part. Fucking see That's hilarious. <laughs> like this rye bread. I'm not going to use this. Yeah, I loved it. It wasn't that burned. <laughs> But uh, yeah. No, but no, but they they were. Oh, can we get a close up? I almost hit. I almost hit them. <laughs> so good. That's hilarious. And then, spoiler alert: if you don't want to know what happens, pause it and go ahead five minutes, or just we'll see you next time. But when it comes time to taste all the dishes, you crushed it and you won. Clearly, I knew you won before they announced, it, but you won the episode, and uh, yeah. it seemed like a really gratifying experience and. Yeah, yeah, what's, what what's next like? for that? Is there like a tournament? Uh, is this a tournament thing? Are you are you going back out into the wild again? Yeah. Yep. So we'll go back out and so cool. we'll be dropped somewhere else. Oh uh, yeah. Oh, you don't this even know great. yet. Yeah. No. Okay. Yeah. So they wanna they wanna do it again. Um, she knows. She probably I already mean, did it, was, it. 
it was it was such a huge success and uh everyone was really excited about it and how it turned out and so yeah they want to do it again and i i'm like i'm game wherever you want to go let's do it that's super cool wow that is amazing yeah you know like um out of all like uh i'm glad you broke it down like as far as like uh cooking shows in general like this one stressed me out. They all stress me out, but mm-hmm. like uh, this stressed me out in a you know, very different way. Yeah, like for sure. Like uh, I got a friend up here that I've worked with for a long time, but just like the basis of the show where you're foraging and um, like waking up. These these were the thing. Waking up, walking, and foraging for food were what human beings did for thousands of generations. Sure, like uh, got us and, here, and yeah, it was like realizing that you're sleepy and laying down and going to sleep that was a knowledge that 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 we had Uh and then finding food was a knowledge that humans had for for who for who knows how long Mm -hmm. up until up until 100 years ago somehow we've lost all of these knowledges that were Mm -hmm. like kind of the first things that you learned as a human well what's (laughs) what's funny is talking to the film crew afterwards they said you know what's what's great about whenever we filmed Naked and Afraid is, you know, because just like this show, you know, they are not in your business. They want they want to be in the bushes. They're going to be far away. You know, they have small requests for you, but otherwise they don't want to be a part of what's happening. Okay. Um, but they said with Naked and Afraid, they were actually told that they could they couldn't even be within a certain amount of yards of them. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, and they said after they know that the person will you know, survive if they survive the first two weeks. And they said, after that two weeks, if they make it, then they turn into a different person. Your mindset actually switches over. And it's, and they said they watched people that when you first met them, you would never think that they were capable of what they did by the end. They said your, your mind will actually switch to a survival mode that most, most of us will probably never even tap into you know, unless put into such a pressured environment. And they said it's one of the the most insane things to watch. But knowing that that we have that, mm-hmm. you know, in, in our brain is, you know, fight or flight is just insane. I think it's so cool. And I'm like, I want to do that. You know, I want I want to be pushed that hard. <laughs> yeah. Well, do you feel like because you've done hunting over the years and you've done some things like that, did did any of that help you prepare or was this just like you're thrown into such a new environment? I mean, I even noticed in some of the scenes where your footing is really like unsure, you know, like it seemed like the yeah. floor, the forest floor was slippery. It was slippery everywhere you were walking. Um, but did yeah. were there some things from growing up or from hunting or even foraging as a chef that helped you with this stuff? Oh, yeah. I mean, all, all of it. And I'm, as much as I, you know, hate to say it, but, you know, I've spent a lot of time beforehand getting into shape for mm. this, yeah. you know, and your body has to be ready to take on because you were walking all day long and you were, it was uphill, downhill, it was rocky and there was no safe footing and you had no idea. I literally, I can't believe this happened, but I was walking along a tree that was something that you would see in a, in a movie and I fell through the tree and I was deep into the tree. Oh my god! <laughs> and I had to be fished out, <laughs> like that. I cannot. It's like a storybook 
thing but you know your footing everywhere you go you were like one second away from falling or face planning or wow. or getting hurt i mean i left and my knees were so bruised up mm. i mean it really that that area battered me <laughs> yeah it looks it just looks slippery everywhere you walk and that people yeah. are just kind of falling over themselves um going up like a five yard little incline or something but were there um, any sort of like wild wild, wild animals that you, that you were coming across out there? Like, uh, oh yeah, we would sit yet, at night yeti. and we would hear, we would see deer. I mean, we would see, uh, we would see coyotes, and I mean, just knowing that we couldn't kill them was difficult, you know, because yeah. we, I knew that I'm like, hey man, that's my protein right there. Like, yeah. we're, we're going out fishing again for this tiny fish. Man, so. that fish was insane. That fish was so small. That's a fish that you most people throw back. And yep. when he brought that fish in, I could see the look on your face was kind of like, are you fucking serious? Because that yeah. fish was like, you know, it was like the size of a baby's shoe or something. Yeah, but I, <laughs> I know. I it's mean, like a it minnow. Was, it was sad, but he had, I mean, I had foraged everything else, mm -hmm. you know, and so I was just, and that, that was one of the rules is we had to get a protein. Mm -hmm. um, and I was like, if we didn't get that, I would have had to gone to termites i would have had to go to uh dung beetles mm -hmm. and i just you know after reading and seeing a whole bunch no matter what anybody tells you there's really not a whole lot of flavor to them mm. and you know uh even the the termites that he used yes they taste like almonds but at the same time you know that flavor gets lost really easily sure mm -hmm. Was there a meal that you that you got to have once it was kind of over? Like, did they were they like, all right, let's bring in the steaks for these guys, or like, did you get to have a cheeseburger at the airport? Like, what was the meal where you were like, I've been waiting for this this whole time? Like, did you get to sit down and have like a proper meal and fill yourself back up? Maybe get a milkshake? I don't know. No, I. Uh, so when we got done with the show, it was really late at night, and I was freezing, and they threw us in a minivan. Mm. And they threw us like a to-go box of something, but they, but in British Columbia and where we were, we were a two-hour drive from anything, mm. and it was I was in the back of a minivan, and we were going on these roads, and they were just bobbing and weaving, bobbing and weaving, and I got carsick. <laughs> I was like, this, I was like, I was like, I would rather be back out there than yeah. in this minivan. <laughs> Damn, come on, Disney. And and, uh, <laughs> and so I know, so I didn't, I didn't, I didn't eat anything for a couple days. I did. I did go back and I, I had a beer with my survivalist and uh, the uh, the opposing team, you know, to wish them well and, and things like that. But, yeah, I went and had a beer and I had one beer and I hadn't had anything to drink at that point in like almost a month. Mm -hmm. And I hadn't eaten anything either. And one beer and I was like, I got to go. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I bet it tasted good. It was. It what was kind delicious. of beer was it? Oh, I can't even remember. It was like a golden ale. Mm. But it was yeah, it was good. Uh, how about how about what? what oh, yeah, Canadian, what, what about ale. the uh, what about the, like the, <laughs> the the next meal after that? Did you get to like square yourself up and get a proper meal somewhere? Because that's it seems no. like to me that would be the greatest part of it is like you get you know some steak or a burger you get at the airport or something. Yeah, where you're but like, maybe all right, I'm back. Maybe if you're starving yourself though, or not starving yeah, you're not yourself, but you're starving. Yeah, you mm -hmm. kind of like lose appetite, right? I wasn't even, and that's, that is a good, a good point. You know, after a certain amount of days, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't hungry anymore. And then I wasn't hungry whenever I got home. It took me a while to even really want to, want to eat anything. It was, it was very strange. It was, yeah, your brain kind of shuts off from, 
from that for a while. But I also was very focused on what I needed to do. So yeah, it took a while yeah. to adjust. There wasn't, you know, you would think that that would be something that people actually do whenever that happens. But yeah. generally it takes a while for you to go, okay. You've kind of changed your equilibrium, I guess. Yep. Yeah. That's yep. crazy. Wow. So can you, you could have a bumper sticker now. It says like, I was kidnapped and dropped into the wild and brainwashed by Disney. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I could. Uh, keep we don't it going. Keep trouble. it going. Whole new career here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, definitely check it out. It's Chefs vs. Wild on Hulu, streaming now, and it's super entertaining. Yeah, there's super currently cool. eight eight episodes, I believe. Nice. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, they downplayed Katie's wilder like uh, like plight in, over a two week period, but I think that in yeah. the, the other shows they kind of like show exactly what they were put. I don't know yeah. why they didn't throw a lot more of that in your episode, but in other episodes you you get to see folks building shelters, mm-hmm. slip, yeah. slipping and falling. Some dude got sick in the middle of his yeah. episode. He was Crazy. laying on the dirt. I like keep the heli- keep the helicopter close. Super cool. <laughs> this guy's not doing well. <laughs> All right, ready, Kenneth? Yes. All right, and the time has come for a holiday Thanksgiving extravaganza spectacular. <laughs> Thanksgiving booze news with Kenneth Dedman, the host with the most, who likes to boast. He knows how to roast a turkey. I do now. <laughs> yeah, crap. we all do now. <laughs> all um, right, what's boozeworthy this uh, holiday season, my friend? Christopher Hollingsworth, medical doctor in New York City, uh, has published a study on the benefits of drinking a beer in the shower. Oh, wow. I love this guy um, already. The science science sits right behind it. Um, oh. Of course, like uh, alcohol is of a, a depressant. However, when you're in your shower, your body like uh relaxes releases dopamine and apparently right about eight ounces of beer eight to 12 ounces of beer um also flushes your body with endorphins like uh so it's a double effect you get the double effect of a regular shower or crushing a beer but when they're together there's like a a a synergy that's beautiful yeah, so uh, you know, so you don't beers want to get make showers twice as good. A solo, beer. I would say that. I mean, solo, I do it all the time. You can't drink eleven <laughs> beers and then drink your fourth <laughs> right, or your twelfth right. okay. one okay. in the Just shower, the one. or Just you'll the one. yeah, you're going to break yourself. This is a good. Um, that's a good holiday tip. That's just like you know, because maybe if you got relatives visiting or you got a lot going on in the house, you one of your only times, pick me up. And yeah, you one go. of your only times alone might be in the shower, right? With your with a little eight ounces of beer. <laughs> Yeah, I did that one year, you know, like doing, yeah, like uh, multi, it's multitasking, but like, yeah, I used to like shout, like, uh, or I always like uh, brush my teeth in the shower if I'm mm. in a rush or something like that. Like, uh, I'd rather drink a beer. Yeah. That's you great. drink a beer and then brush your teeth. I thought I had found, I had found a, uh, I must have erased it. I thought I'd found this beer company. This beer company was making a shower beer product. Oh, like wow. an actual beer. But I think I erased I can find it. it? Now nah, let's okay. move on. Uh, we'll stay on beer, though. Coors Light, the silver bullet, broke everyone's minds about 10, 15 years ago when they released the uh, the mountain, the the blue mountain. 
oh, yeah, uh, labeling. Oh, yeah, cold. Yep. Where the, the Rocky Mountains turn, turn blue when mm-hmm. the beer is cold enough to drink. I always, uh, when, I was, when I was working in places that had Coors Light, I always made sure if someone ordered it, the, like they inspected <laughs> inspected the the those cold uh blue mountains on the label before i opened it for them I, so you're like look at I, it I, like yeah do you see that <laughs> i would ask for their approval <laughs> and, uh, it's like you, know, you did it well, you're trying like, to get uh, an extra like tip. beer bar look this what guy's I've done actually this guy just wants me to open the fucking beer and give it to him i'm like look at these mountains dude look at them <laughs> That's that was how, always, that's how you know this beer is cold. You want to talk about surviving in the wild? Coors Light was always my camping beer, and my uh, yeah, heading out into the wilderness camping. Yeah, that's what I always I, took Coors. Light I always took Coors like or Keystone. The same thing, kind of. It's like Gatorade. I would throw them in the freezer, and you know, like they, uh, maybe you lose lose one, but all the rest would just freeze. Mm. Uh, they might like pop that bunt out in the bottom. Mm-hmm. But then I would use that for my camping cooler. Instead of having ice, I would have cor- uh, frozen Coors Lights all over the place. Wow! And nice as, little, uh, as they thawed, hack. I would drink more. And Katie, more. you can, you could you can borrow that one when you go back out in the wild. Oh yeah, like, I'm gonna forage for some Coors. Uh, well, anyway, Coors Light has um, Coors Light's new nail polish. Will oh, also. Jesus. We'll also tell you if your beer is cold enough, so you don't necessarily oh. have to get Coors Light. You just have to get their nail polish, and then and that's like how you inspect beers. So when you hold the beer with your hand, with the, your hand, the nail, uh, the color on the nails will goes, change. Yeah, it goes from silver to blue. Hmm. Yeah, I got to pick some of now that. Now we up. know what we're putting in Katie Koss's stocking. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that's pretty cool. I'm gonna get it for work and ride it off, like. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, you can be like you know. You're just gonna be painting the ladies' nails at the bar. No, I'll paint my nails because I'm the I'm the I'm the handler, so yeah. I will ask everyone's approval every beer ordered until they stop ordering. Have beer. some Bowie vibes behind the bar. There you go. Oh, okay. Fifty years after his death, doctors in Hong Kong speculate that Bruce Lee might have died from drinking too much water. Whoa. Um, known for working out and uh, and his extreme diet, extreme extreme workout, extreme diet. It's plausible, plausible that Bruce Lee had a salt deficiency, which led to brain swelling due to overconsumption of water. Everyone's always warned me of of this. Mm-hmm. Um, don't you know, like drink two gallons of water in an hour and a half because it could kill you. It can be real dangerous when you're on like drugs, or if you're at like a festival setting where people I've are doing a bunch of drugs. Working in nightclubs, the where kids, they don't. those kids with the uh, the ecstasy will like chug so much water. <laughs> those kids like... with the ecstasy. <laughs> <laughs> Listen to us now. Those little kids with those definitely not with us. The... <laughs> with their eyes rolling back in their heads, chugging, chugging plastic bottles of water. Anyway, it was. Uh, it's been speculated that Bruce Lee was Bruce Lee's cause of death was uh, a poisoning by Chinese gangsters. Possible uh, a jealous lover had 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 poisoned him as well. Everyone th- thought it was a a lot of poison, a curse. There was a curse. Uh, there's a there's a curse theory on Bruce Lee. Mm. Do y'all even like Bruce Lee? Should I just fucking move on? I thought he was badass. Yeah, badass. I think he's a badass. I wish he could have grown older and. 
kept doing this stuff. His, oh yeah, he was incredible. His son was a crow, the crow, and he passed away early. He yeah, that was tragic. Both, both robbed of a long life. Oh, I don't know. Woman freaked out after her, after a man orders milk on their first date. Cool. <laughs> well let's let's ask so you're if you're you're out on a date with someone and they order like a glass of milk what would you think i would be pe- i'd probably be the one that ordered the milk <laughs> in a white russian <laughs> uh, good one there you go but just just a man ordering a glass of milk do you bat an eye or do you think yeah whatever he likes milk um you know that's a that's a that's a toss up. Yeah, this is like the new hot new place in Tulsa. You're sitting down. You're like, oh wow, it smells great in here. Oh look at the modern design. Wow, the I lighting what is that great. Paint color is. Oh, I need a I need a cocktail from that bar. That looks nice. And the dude's like, I'll just take a glass of milk. Yeah, a little a little questionable. There's a lot of there's a lot of strange people out there. Um, <laughs> I would definitely I would I'd mark it down as like a a question mark. But I don't think I would I don't think I would. You know, I wouldn't go on, not go on a second date with him. I'd just be like, hey, what's with the milk? What's with the milk, buddy? <laughs> you filed away. You file it away for later. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what if you, Perfect. you know, okay. like, uh, what if you're like, uh, you're very hungry and you a little dizzy. You need a little, you just Yeah, like calories. you didn't eat you need, in anticipation yeah. you need, uh, of it. a little protein. Uh, yeah. You need fat. Well, you need what everything. What is that? The to... steel, steel magnolias where she needs a little juice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? mm-hmm. She needs some juice. Yeah. I get it. Do it. I'm going to try this. Um, I'd go to the bar and just get a shot of milk or buttermilk. What if I, <laughs> yeah, you, that's the thing is like you ask how many different, like uh, how many, what, what what's our milk situation here? Like yeah. uh, you, you just have one or two or Are we talking Cisco buttermilk or, or are we getting this from a local farm? Have, uh, like, no, I don't want any That's probably alt, where Katie's like, I like this that guy. Alt is, milk. This, <laughs> is this raw milk? Yeah. He's like, oh, I'd take a glass of raw milk. Then I'd be like, this is a man. Yeah, dude. <laughs> there okay. you go. There you go. You guys make cheese here? <laughs> you got any raw milk? Because I'd like a glass. Cold glass. Actually, it doesn't have to be cold. I don't care. <laughs> I'm like, what are you, John Wayne? <laughs> you got warm milk. Yeah. <laughs> any room uh, take a glass milk? of warm milk and a shot of brandy. <laughs> <laughs> nope, Ooh. don't put them together. <laughs> don't put I'll them do together. the mix in here. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Oh man, dude! Uh, this dude down twelve energy drinks in ten minutes, and then his pancreas Ew. his pancreas ate itself. Crazy! Dang, That's how a does that flag. happen? Uh, he's like, uh, I was having heart flutters, and I thought it was just the caffeine. Then my back started hurting, so I took a shot of booze. Oh man, Whew. this guy! Then he threw up in the kitchen sink. Went to the hospital. His pancreas was eating itself. How does that work? Damn. What else? Um, well, we uh, we covered this probably on like one of our first uh, episodes in 1996. Pepsi Pepsi Company uh, they introduced a rewards program for um, their individual units of, of their products. Like mm-hmm. it was usually the cap would give you like ten points or something, and you could collect them and redeem them for certain. You know, like a Pepsi T-shirt. Okay. Blah, blah blah blah. Well, Pepsi. At the end of the commercial, without a disclaimer, also offered, I got the list here. So like 400 points, and you get a denim jacket, a Pepsi jacket, 60 would get you a hat. In their commercial, though, they uh, they promised a, a Harrier jet 
for 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 the person that collected uh, seven million labels of Pepsi products. Okay. So they also hear me out, Mike. They also offered these points on their website that you could buy for a couple of. It was like pennies on the dollar. Okay. You could pick this up. So, oh boy, a gentleman named John Leonard, who is currently in a lawsuit with uh, Pepsi to uh, retrieve his twenty-five million dollar Harrier jet. <laughs> um, it seems he uh, he raised the sufficient funds of about seven hundred thousand dollars to purchase uh, these Pepsi points. Jesus. And redeem his Harrier jet. Uh, this was uh, '96, so uh, we we co- we freaking covered this like a long time ago. Yeah. But like now, Netflix. I di- I didn't know this. I got I got new new Netflix uh, access, so I can't wait for this. this okay. I, I just read this on the way here today. Mm-hmm. Netflix documentary on the whole thing. I think that they are. It, it doesn't say the timeline of when he's actually get, going to court. The guy's now in his mid fifties though, so he he started doing the he. He pulled off this heist, theoretical heist, when he was about 18 years old, which is pretty. Does it say how he got all the money to be able to do that? That's going to be, that's the whole freaking documentary. Wow. Crazy. But yeah, like. uh, (laughs) He's like, I want my jet. This is amazing. Yeah, this is amazing. Like, uh, the dude's a little league baseball coach. And uh, by coincidence, uh, Pepsi was. uh, was sponsoring his team this last year. (laughs) That's all I could get. And then there's like a whole whole netflix documentary and it is called pepsi where's my jet (laughs) (laughs) pepsi where's my jet Uh, okay john leonard washington state community college student decided to take pepsi at its word (laughs) it was like uh what is it the pepsi would be the third largest um plastic polluter in the world hmm congratulations to matthew mcconaughey and his mm-hmm. uh, long, uh, what is it? Long Branch brand of whiskey, yeah. Which is now, huh? which is a partnership between him and um, and Jimmy Russell, Jim and Eddie Russell at the Wild Turkey Distillery. Good long place Branch, to make whiskey. Long Branch ban- brand is now is now evolving into uh, vacation real estate. Whoa. <laughs> Uh, partnered with Walden Retreats, Matthew McConaughey literally is is a- in the Airbnb business using the Long Branch brand to sell to sell unique cabin and tent stays in the Texas. This is kind of cool in the Texas Hill Hill Country. Mostly all luxury tents, right around uh, five hundred dollars a night. Hmm. Stay in a tent, Texas. Just like Hill Katie Cost did, dude. You know, you you, you go out there, you go out. Texas Hill Country's always been like my cheap vacation. I don't want to go spend premium. That's a premium price. Premium right? tent, five hundred dollars yeah. a night. Yeah. What's a like Stay a hotel in. room in a night? It's a, a nice, nice hotel. hotel. Yeah. Yeah. All right, and that's booze news. That was booze news. Excellent, amazing. <laughs> well, thanks to everybody here at We Own This Town. Thanks to producer Michael Eads. Thanks to Jess Matchin for the logo. Upright T-Rex music for the tunes. Check out the new book, Cheer, a liquid gold holiday drinking guide. Wherever you buy books, we'll have links in our profiles and everything there. And as always, check out the new website, liquidgold.show. Thank you so much to our very special guest today. You really gave us a lot of incredible culinary cooking tips and information. Miss Katie Koss, thank you so much for being here today. 
You're welcome. I loved chatting with you boys. Yeah, Katie, you're awesome. That was great. We might have to bring you back for Christmas. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's Tell do us it. how you're going to cook it. that Christmas goose. Um, I wish I could chat with you guys every day. <laughs> yeah, me too. We'll get there. But yeah, a lot of great info on Thanksgiving this year and and then just, just making stock in general, I think, is, is just so huge for the home cook. And when you're going to be cooking a feast, you can lean on your stock to, to make anything better. Absolutely. Well, check out the new show, Chefs vs. Wild, and Katie's episode there, and just enjoy the whole show. We'll be looking for season two where you'll be dropped somewhere. We're not sure quite yet. That's so exciting. Where There's that's going to be. Oh. Keep us posted on that. I know you can't tell us much. And uh, you, as, as a chef... In your uh, culinary career, you're going to have some announcements maybe soon on what's what's coming up next for you? Yeah, I, I'm not going to say too much, but I got a lot, of, a lot of irons in the fire and I'll keep you posted. Awesome. Well, you're a phenomenal chef and we look forward to uh, finding out wherever you'll be cooking next. So thanks for being here today. We really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. For my co-host, Mr. Kenneth Dedman. Kenneth, love you, buddy. Love you too, Mike. Love you, Katie. Love you. Love you, Katie. <laughs> Happy Thanksgiving to everybody out there, and I hope you all have a wonderful holiday. Be safe out there, and we'll see you next time on Liquid Gold.